Hello, and welcome to the Decorum Talking newspaper for the week ending Saturday, the 19th of March, 2022. This is David, and your other readers this week are Susan, Mark, and Pam. We are Team 5, and our editor is Fola. As usual, our items were taken from the Gazette and Express, serving Hemel Hempstead, Berkhamstead and Tring, and all telephone numbers are on the local code of 01442, unless it says otherwise. For those of you with computers, our website address is dtnhemel.org.uk. This week's paper front page headline reads, Planning Process Halted in Bid to Protect Estate. More on this and other local stories now follows. Hello, this is Susan. The findings of a government report have led Decorum Borough Council to suspend all planning application decisions in the neighbourhood. A government report highlighting damage done in the Chiltern Beechwoods Special Area of Conservation has forced the authorities' hand, the Borough Council says. An official ecological report published this week revealed that more action is needed to help protect Ashridge Estate on the Hertfordshire-Buckinghamshire border. Damage from increased visitor pressure at the Tring Woodlands was also highlighted in the report. A Borough Council spokesman said, These green spaces are hugely popular with visitors wishing to enjoy the many wonders of nature. However, the report shows that these recreational activities are causing landscapes to come under increasing pressures which can erode valuable habitats and disturb wildlife. Both are sites of special scientific interest, SSI, and form part of the Chilterns Beechwoods Special Area of Conservation, SAC, and are protected by international law. Hello, this is Mark. As a result, the Council is working with Natural England, Hertfordshire County Council, neighbouring authorities and the National Trust, which cares for Ashford Estate, to develop an interim mitigation strategy. The Council spokesman continued, until the mitigation strategy is in place, additional checks on planning applications will be needed to ensure these sites remain protected. These checks will apply to all proposals that involve the development of new homes and some other types of development within or close to the affected areas, known as the zone of influence. The Council acknowledged that this will lead to some delays and inconvenience and will seek to minimise the disruption as much as possible. The Council will continue to receive and process all planning applications in the normal way, but will need to postpone issuing decisions on the affected applications until the mitigation strategy is in place. Once this is in place, the Council will be in a position to meet its legal obligations and issue decisions on the affected planning applications. Decorum Borough Council is encouraging would-be planning applicants to visit its Frequently Answered Questions section on the Council website. Hello, this is Pam continuing this story. Councillor Alan Anderson said, We are privileged to have these internationally recognised assets on our doorstep, which are very much loved and enjoyed by our residents. The ecological and visitor surveys have highlighted the vulnerabilities of these sites 
which require a mitigation strategy to be put in place to protect them from further erosion and preserve them for future generations. I understand the concern that the additional checks will cause and the potential delays this will have on planning applications. However, we are legally required to ensure the integrity of the site is not adversely affected by new planning proposals, ensuring the best protection for the special area of conservation. We recently delayed the local plan to allow further time to consider the implications of growth in the borough. It is crucial that as the local plan develops, we ensure the integrity of the Chilterns Beechwoods SAC. Bucks Council will also play a role in developing the strategy. Paul Miller, General Manager for the National Trust's Ashridge Estate said, We welcome the Council's support. We know how much our visitors love visiting and exploring Ashridge, and as a conservation charity, we're also exploring what more we can do to protect this special place for both wildlife and future generations to enjoy. We of course want to do everything we can to encourage people to be active, get outdoors and engage with nature. It's a careful balance to get right to ensure we are not doing this to the detriment of the landscape or nature. However, it's important to remember each and every one of us can play a role in looking after beautiful places like Ashridge. So, along with the work by the Council, we are encouraging our visitors to follow the countryside code. That means you're welcome, to, you're welcome to come on a picnic, but we ask you that you take your litter home with you and only barbecue in designated areas. Health bosses in West Hertfordshire have agreed to invest in a robotic surgery system, bringing robotic surgery to Watford General for the first time. The high-tech system will allow trained surgeons to operate using a joystick on a console rather than manually manoeuvring tools at the patient's side. And as well as being comfortable for surgeons, medics say it will benefit patients too, reducing blood loss, pain and the length of their hospital stay. The decision to invest in two versius robotic systems was made by a meeting of the West Hearts Hospitals Trust Board on March the 3rd. At that meeting, it was reported to board members that in the past, robotic surgery had had to be restricted due to the cost, theatre size and the need to reinforce the ceilings of operating theatres to accommodate the fixed robotic arms. But it was reported that newer, fully transportable systems, more compact in size, no longer required any hospital work. And the standalone devices, it was reported, could be used for a greater number of patients across a greater range of surgical procedures. At the meeting, the board had initially been asked to back a bid to fund one robotic surgical system at a cost of £1.44 million over seven years. And it was reported that by 2025, it would allow the Trust to perform 350 surgical procedures a year in areas such as colectoral surgery, gynaecology, urology and upper GI. But the board opted to increase the investment in order to have two versius robotic systems, which will ultimately enable up to 700 robotic procedures a year. 
Without the investment, it was reported to the board that by the end of the year, the trust would be one of the only trusts in the area without a robotic surgical system. And it was reported that this could impact on the trust's ability to recruit and retain surgical trainees and consultants. Following the meeting, the decision of the forward-thinking board was welcomed by consultant collateral surgeon Vanash Patel. And he suggested that as a result, the trust was set to become one of the UK's leading robotic centres. He said that previously the cost had been prohibitive, with systems often purchased for hospitals through fundraising or donations. But he pointed to the rapid development in robotic systems in the past five years, which are modular and can be moved between theatres. And he suggested they are becoming a necessity in order to maintain services and attract staff, as well as pointing to the better outcomes for patients. With 720 degree articulation, he says the system can be rotated round and round so that it can reach areas that couldn't otherwise be reached. And that accuracy, he says, means less trauma to the tissue and less pain and, with that, earlier discharge. He told the local democracy reporting service that he is ecstatic with the board's decision to opt for two robotic systems rather than one saying it shows how forward-thinking the exec team at the Trust is. And he said, I think with two robots, we can really speed up this innovation. Along with the purchase of the robotic systems will be extensive training for the third surgeons and theatre teams. A look at this week's reader's letter letters, starting with this from Christine Allen, Chief Executive, and Phil's Townsend, Chairman of the West Hertfordshire Hospitals NHS Trust. We are pleased that this publication carries an acknowledgement from the publishers of the Hemel Gazette, which accepts our position in respect of last week's letter from C. Yearwood. That letter contained false imputations about our board, and in particular our Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Van der Watt. The letter insinuated that he and his fellow health bosses stand to make a financial gain linked to our hospital redevelopment plans and that this, rather than the best interests of our patients, has influenced the decision-making process. We refute this in the strongest terms possible. West Hertfordshire Hospital's NHS Trust fully respects the media's right to examine matters in the public interest and freedom of expression more generally and does not wish to stifle discussion or debate about this matter. However, the comments made by C. Yearwood were defamatory and we are within our rights to pursue legal action. Individuals or publishers who make or publish false claims should take note. We are taking this matter very seriously. This letter continues. For more than a decade now, this complex and emotive issue has been the subject of lively public meetings, in person and online. Robust conversations with campaigners, frequent correspondence, letters in newspapers, freedom of information requests and answers, surveys, petitions, social media posts, newspaper articles, press releases, engagement documents and legal challenges. Most of these exchanges have been conducted without the need to question the integrity of our board. Regrettably, we have seen a deterioration in the language used over recent months and years, and last week's letter was not the first to step beyond an acceptable line. 
We are public servants and we accept and expect a degree of scrutiny. By all means disagree with us and hold us to account. But please don't allow your frustration to boil over into insults. False and malicious comments do not further anyone's cause. Our board's decision-making is always driven by patient safety as the top priority. And this is the guiding factor behind retaining our three hospital sites. Our preferred option is to redevelop our existing sites because this will deliver urgently needed new and refurbished buildings in the shortest time possible. We consider this to be our overriding duty and we remain absolutely committed to driving forward the vital developments of our hospitals. There's a note from the editor of the Gazette. The Hemel Gazette is pleased to clarify the position of the Trust and its senior officers, which we accept. And with this letter from Helen Brown, Deputy Chief Executive of West Hearts Hospital NHS Trust, we close the letters section. <clears throat> our plans to move clinical services from our existing buildings at Watford General Hospital into a new hospital building on adjacent land will not, as Jay Batty's letter of March 9th states, result in five years of chaotic redevelopment. Those who oppose us retaining and redeveloping our hospitals in Hemel Hempstead, Watford and St Albans paint a picture of a patch-up job or work being done around our patients. Neither of those notions hold water. Readers can view an animation of our proposed design for our new hospital building by searching WHHT Redevelopment Plans on YouTube. It's clear to see that where we intend to create a new hospital is far enough away from our current buildings to be able to keep disruption to a minimum. Our estate staff are highly skilled in managing major projects and keeping our ageing buildings safe. Over recent years, new many areas have had significant upgrades. A new oxygen system, our state-of-the-art MRI CT suite, a fully refurbished cardiac catheter lab, plus the numerous and immediate adaptations in response to the pandemic. Presently, we're approaching the final stages of a complete overhaul of our main theatre complex, and so far, not a single surgical procedure has been cancelled as a result of this work. We're also just about to open a new multi-storey car park on the Watford site, which has been built with the minimal disruption. Our track record in keeping clinical services going and protecting the experience of our patients is strong, and will serve us well in our exciting future too. We encourage readers to have confidence in our ability to deliver new and better buildings and to support our three hospital model, which we've chosen because it's the quickest route to providing first-class facilities for our patients and staff. Hundreds of people have backed a petition started by a local taxi driver calling for additional safety measures on the A41 Berkhamsted Bypass. Mark Twyman, who runs Burko Black Cabs, started the e-petition on the Hertfordshire County Council website less than two weeks after a multi-vehicle crash. 
In the petition, he points to at least six serious road traffic accidents on the stretch of roads since the beginning of the year, and he calls for the County Council to implement safety measures to prevent future accidents. In particular, the petition highlights the need for safety signs, for information on accident hotspots, and for speed restrictions around junctions. And it has already been signed by more than 600 people who share Mr Twyman's concerns. Mr Twyman, who lives in Berkhamsted, told the local democracy reporting service that he believes the road is dangerous. He says he believes the road is badly designed, with a bad surface, dips and bends, and slip roads that are too short. And he says motorists drive too fast, suggesting that since the lifting of lockdown restrictions, it has become like a racetrack. He says signage needs to be changed, with motorists being warned of accident hotspots, and he suggests there may be a need for cameras to slow traffic, suggesting that the measure would be worth it if it were to save a life. The petition, which is listed on the hertfordshire.gov.uk website, has already been signed by more than 600 people, and it will remain open until April the 4th. Where a petition has more than 250 signatures, it can be presented to a meeting of the County Council's Cabinet or a Cabinet panel. And if it is backed by a thousand or more signatures, it can be presented to a meeting of the full Council. In response to the petition, Mr Twyman says there are already plans for him to meet with the County Council's Executive Member for Highways and Transport, Councillor Phil Bibby. And Councillor Bibby said... I look forward to meeting Mr Twyman with my officers so that we can fully discuss his concerns and what measures might be appropriate. Hertfordshire County Council has agreed to pay out £500 after it was found to have taken too long to address a complaint made on behalf of a looked-after child. Concerns were initially raised with the Council after a serious incident which had led to a hospital stay and a serious life-changing condition. But a review by the Local Government and Social Care Ombudsman found there was an 18-month delay as part of the complaints process. The Council has agreed to pay out £500 to the child's relative in recognition of distress, time and trouble. According to a report published by the Ombudsman, an initial complaint about the events that had led to the incident in 2018 was made by a female relative acting on behalf of the child and their father. And in February 2019, she went on to ask the council to consider her complaint as stage two of the statutory complaint process. This stage of the complaints process involves an investigating officer and an independent person investigating the complaint, and it can take a maximum of 65 days. However, says the Ombudsman's report, the woman was not told that the council could not proceed with the complaint because it was going to carry out a local learning review. In February 2020, and again in March 2020, the woman repeated her requests to move to stage two. And in June, the council agreed to investigate, but said they couldn't do so immediately due to COVID-19 restrictions. 
The investigation did go ahead three months later in September, and the report was issued in the December. Of the 17 complaint headings identified, one was upheld and one partially upheld, and the complaint progressed to a review panel. That panel upheld three complaints and partially upheld one. But ultimately, the County Council did not agree with the findings at either stage of the complaints procedure and set out its reasons in writing. Following an investigation of the complaint, the Ombudsman stressed that the Council is entitled to disagree with the findings and that there was no fault in the way the decision was reached. However, he did find fault with the time it took and the Council's failure to adhere to the statutory, statutory complaint procedure pointing to the 18 months between the request to move to stage two and the start of that process. In his report, the Ombudsman highlights an annual letter sent to the County Council in 2020 expressing previous concerns that in several cases, the Council had failed to properly operate the statutory complaint procedure. We found it substituted its own methods usually involving inviting complainants to meetings when they ex exercise their right to request escalation, says the report. The same fault was repeated in this case. The report also points to the Council's reliance on COVID-19 restrictions as a further reason for its delays. But it stresses that had the Council acted without fault, the investigation would have started before the restrictions came into force. According to the report, the County Council has apologised and has offered to pay out £500 in recognition of the distress, time and trouble it caused. And in response to the Ombudsman's findings, a spokesperson for Hertfordshire County Council told the Local Democracy Reporting Service that they accepted the findings and the recommendations made. Hertfordshire County Council accepts the findings and recommendations of the Local Government and Social Care Ombudsman in how this complaint was handled, said the County Council spokesperson. We recognise and apologise for the distress, time and trouble that this process has caused the family involved. A long-standing family business in Hemel Hempstead, which manufactures cake decorating equipment, is adding a new string to its bow. FMM Sugarcraft, based at the Chancery Gate Business Centre on Whiteleaf Road, is to open a coffee shop and classrooms for cake workshops and demonstrations. Joe's Coffee Shop and Creative Space, which launches on Monday, April the 4th, is the idea of Lucy Clements, who works alongside Mum Grace, the owner of FMM. Grace explained, we sell stuff all over the world to more than 30 different countries, but the last couple of years during the COVID-19 pandemic have not been easy for the cake industry. There have been very few weddings or parties, so no need for celebration cakes. We managed to get through it, but we felt we needed to diversify, and Lucy came up with the idea of the coffee shop. It is named after my father Joseph, a lovely man who died at the age of 93 four years ago. He and my mum Mary, who lives in Bovingdon, set up FMM back in 1948. Joseph and Mary moved to the Hemel Hempstead area about 45 years ago and later bought a business unit at Kings Langley. 
After outgrowing that, the company switched to Chancery Gate, from where it has continued to thrive and now it employs six people. The coffee shop, which will open from 8am to 2pm, will be aimed primarily at the breakfast and lunch market, selling foods such as paninis, croissants and cakes, as well as drinks. I'm very excited about it, said Grace, who lives in Flaunden. I'm also nervous because I've never done anything like this before in my life, but we are hoping it works. A Hemel Hempstead business owner has organised a trip to Poland to support Ukrainian refugees seeking asylum. Jack Borum, who runs his own removal service, has launched a fundraiser to help pay for the trip and he's already organised the logistics with Polish volunteers. Jack has contacted a refugee camp in the Czech Republic where he'll be transporting people too. Currently, Jack doesn't know when he will be head to the, towards the war-torn country's border, but he hopes to start his journey this week. At the time of writing, he's nearly halfway to his £1,000 target. Jack said, I just wanted to go and do my bit because they're not getting enough help and I feel strongly about it. With my wife and kids here, if it was me in that situation and they are, that they are all in, I'd like somebody to go and help. Everyone says the same thing. Oh, it's really sad, but it's not my problem. But people can make a difference. I've just got to go and do it. People can make a difference. No one should have to live like that in this day and age, women and children. It's heartbreaking, really. At this point, Jack has no plans to enter Ukraine, and the tightening of the Polish border means it will be extremely difficult for him to do that. The intensifying crisis in Ukraine is raising concerns about travel to Russia's neighbours. Here's everything you need to know ahead of a visit. Revered for its pristine medieval architecture, Lithuania's second city, Kornos, is looking forward to a busy year as the European Capital of Culture 2022. Shared with Esch sur Lazette in Luxembourg and Novi Sad in Serbia. More than 4,000 events and festivals have been planned to attract tourists throughout the year. But organisers, along with the rest of the world, are watching nervously as events in Ukraine unfold. The vast looming spectre of Russia is casting a dark shadow across the neighbouring and nearby Baltic states, raising concerns for anyone who might be planning to visit the region in the next few months. Mindorgas Ranikis, head of communication and marketing for Kornos, European Capital of Culture 2022, is keen to stress Lithuania remains open to visitors. The Baltic states and Lithuania are totally safe places to travel, he insists. They're part of NATO and in the EU. All flights and other means of transport are functioning as usual. It's a message echoed by countries such as Romania, Slovakia, Hungary and Poland, which have become more popular tourist destinations in recent years, thanks largely to a proliferation of affordable flights from Air's airlines such as Wizz Air and Ryanair. In 2019, Poland recorded 35.7 million tourist arrivals, according to the Statista Research Department, an increase of over 18 million arrivals since 2006. As COVID restrictions begin to relax globally, 
it was hoped those figures could be resumed. Aside from Ukraine, Russia, Belarus and part of Moldova, there are currently no UK government warnings against visiting any of the countries in Eastern Europe, meaning at this point there's no need to alter travel plans. However, given the ever-evolving and volatile situation, there are some important considerations to be made. Get good travel insurance. Varying global restrictions relating to COVID-19 have made it imperative to have good travel insurance, now even more so. Travel insurance companies warn against taking out a one-size-fits-all policy. Instead, travellers should consider the destination, duration and activities to be undertaken on their trip. In certain cases, a single policy rather than an annual multi-trip policy may be a better option. The countries to avoid. For anyone who does have holidays booked in Ukraine, Russia, Belarus and part of Moldova, where the Foreign Office advises against all travel, many insurers and tour operators are offering refunds or the opportunity to rebook for a later date. To keep up to date with the latest travel advice, the Foreign Office is the best resource. Go to gov.uk forward slash foreign hyphen travel hyphen advice. A Hemel Hempstead pub is raising a celebratory pint after being crowned as the area's pub of the year. The Mid Chilterns branch of Camera, the campaign for real ale, announced the winners of its annual awards on Sunday, and the full house in Hemel Hempstead was given the gong for overall champion. Congratulations are due to the team who were praised by Camera for their passion and commitment to well kept local cask beer. The Full House has hosted many special events over the past 12 months, each with discerning drinkers in mind. Visitors have been spoilt with Meet the Brewer, Tap Takeover, See the Cellar events and more. All while local brews such as Mad Squirrel, Tring Brewery and Rebellion have been pouring from the many pumps. Now we come to the information slot this is followed by obituaries, what's on, and more news. Hertfordshire County Council general notice list of temporary road closures. Box Lane, Bovingdon. Belsize Rose, Hemel Hempstead. The Common, Chipperfield. Polehanger Lane, Hemel Hempstead. Subway beneath A4146, Station Road to Leighton Buzzard Road. Various footpaths in Hemel Hempstead. Sunny Hill Road to Melstead Road in Hemel Hempstead and public footpaths. Various roads in Water End, Mark Yate and Great Gadston. Pickford Road, Cheverell's Green. Also temporary waiting restrictions, also at Trowley Bottom, Peatley Hill, Flamstead, Roughdown Road, Hamel Hempstead, Scatterdells Lane, Chipperfield, and Trowley Hill Road, Flamstead. A copy of the proposed orders may be inspected free of charge at County Hall, Hartford, between the hours of 9am and 5pm on weekdays. Obituaries recorded in the family announcements page of this week's paper are Dorothy Jean Brett, Nee Reeves, 
Peter Godfrey Ray Crichton, Jean Heron, and Ivy Violet Wilby. May they rest in peace. Some of what's on locally. At the theatre, Abigail's Party, showing at Watford Palace Theatre until April the 2nd. This new production by Pravesh Kumar, with Goldie Note as Beverly, casts the attitudes to class and social standing of Mike Lee's classic in a whole new light. It's set in 1970s suburbia, and its heady mix of free-flowing drinks, classic disco, and cheese and pineapple sticks. Aspirational Beverly and her estate agent husband Lawrence are hosting a soiree for their newlywed neighbours. As the evening goes on, marital tensions rise and tempers flare. Visit watfordpalacetheatre.co.uk to book or for more information. Now opera. Welsh National Opera will be at Milton Keynes Theatre from March the 22nd to the 26th. Welsh National Opera brings three productions to Milton Keynes next week. Mozart's Don Giovanni will be staged on March the 23rd and 24th, with Janacek's Yenufa performed on March the 25th, and the company's critically acclaimed new production of Puccini's Madame Butterfly on March the 22nd and 26th. Welsh National Opera General Director Aidan Lang said, One of the strengths of opera is that the great works can transcend time, their central ideas being as relevant to our lives today as they were at the time they were written. In some cases, such as with the immoral Don Giovanni, we view his actions today as though a new, more contemporary lens. Visit at get tickets, I'll spell that, A-T-G-T-I-C-K-E-T-S dot com, Milton Keynes, or call 0844-871-7615 to book. Now to some music. Midnight Train to Georgia at Aylesbury Waterside Theatre on March the 20th. Born in Georgia in 1944, Gladys Knight began singing with her siblings at age eight, calling themselves the Pips. The group opened for many R&B legends in the 1950s before heading to Motown. There started the legend that became Gladys Knight and the Pips. Aiming to capture the essence of the superstar is Haley Rear Christian. The show features classics such as Baby Don't Change Your Mind, Help Me Make It Through the Night, Try to Remember, The Way We Were, and Part-Time Love. Visit atgtickets.com to book. A look at this week in history. On March the 15th, 1984... Only 21 of Britain's 174 coal mines were working as strikes against the coal board's 5.2% pay offer and its pit closure programme became official. On this day last year, a five-year-old girl proved to be eagle-eyed when she spotted a walrus, which was believed to have drifted over to Ireland from the Arctic. On March 16, 1947, Almost 600,000 acres of farming land were submerged by floodwater on the fens as the river ooze overflowed and a million sheep died. 
On March the 17th in 1921, the first birth control clinic was set up in London by Dr. Marie Stopes. On this day last year, the Duke of Cambridge praised the Irish Guards for their unwavering commitment to their country whenever and wherever they are needed most. On March the 18th, 1949, the text of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO, was made public two weeks before its signature in Washington, D.C., by 12 countries, including Canada, Britain, Iceland and the United States. On March the 19th in 1932, Sydney Harbour Bridge was opened. It was the world's longest single-span arch bridge. On this day last year, experts said a humpback whale washed up on a North Sea beach appeared to have been dead for some time. And on March the 20th in 1969, Beatle John Lennon married Yoko Ono in Gibraltar. The show must go on for a dozen talented ballet dancers from Decorum who are set to perform on stage alongside international professionals. The youngsters are part of the cast of the English youth ballet's Swan Lake, which will be performed at the Waterside Theatre in Aylesbury later this month. The ballet was originally set to be performed in 2020, but was cancelled due to the COVID-19 pandemic. But luckily the performances have now been rescheduled and the young dancers will finally get their chance to shine on March 22nd and 23rd. Dancer Joseph Phillips, aged 10, from Tring, said, I started dancing when I was four years old. I used to go and watch my older cousin's dance classes and really enjoyed watching them, so I decided to join in and I loved it. I get so much enjoyment from being a dancer and feel so much excitement every time I perform on stage. I'm really excited to be performing Swan Lake with English Youth Ballet and love coming to every rehearsal. I've made so many friends and the teachers are all lovely. Last year I was chosen to perform with the English National Ballet as part of the cast of The Nutcracker at the London Coliseum. It was the most magical experience that I will never forget and made me want to be a dancer even more. Grace Payne from Tring added, I've been dancing for as long as I can remember. There was something so inviting about the love and passion dancers have for their craft. I always wanted to join in. Watching professional ballet dancers showed me I was able to express myself in such a graceful way while being physically strong. I wouldn't change my hobby for anything. One of the best feelings about being a dancer is the freedom we are given. There are so many ways to express yourself in dance, which makes each time more interesting. No two dances are the same. Secondly, I love the release dance brings. There's something so relaxing about letting go and releasing tension. Emotion plays a large part in dancing, so whatever is going on in personal life can be used for good use to enhance performance. It's such a great opportunity to be with English Youth Ballet. I cannot help but feel excited and thankful I am able to perform and do what I love. Everything's so well organised and the coaching I get helps me to improve both my technique and performance. A great experience to remember. Dancing is not just about movement. A large part includes acting and projecting emotion to the audience. Boxmoor Primary School recently held a tree planting morning. 
This was part of the Queen's Green Canopy campaign to plant trees in celebration and recognition of the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. Every class planted a tree which they will look after for the duration of their time at Boxmoor Primary. Year 6's trees will pass to nursery when they leave. The trees were kindly donated from the Woodland Trust Free Trees Scheme. We planted hazel, rowan and crab apples. We were kindly assisted by Steve Dutch, the ecology ranger of the Boxmoor Trust, who joined us for the morning and supported us with learning about trees, where best to site them and how best to plant and look after them. Community Bank Metro Bank recently co-hosted a networking event with pupils from John F. Kennedy Catholic School participating in the Dragon's Apprentice Challenge, which along with other fundraising efforts helped to raise £1,245.97 for the Blue Tangerine Charity. The event took place at Metro Bank's Hemel Hempstead store and focused on health, wealth and happiness to help create a positive start to 2022 with attendees donating to the Blue Tangerine Charity upon arrival. The Dragon's Apprentice Challenge consists of teams of school students, the apprentices, who are assigned a business mentor, a dragon, and are then paired with a local charity to help raise funds. The networking event was one of a number of fundraising initiatives the apprentices organised with support from their dragons. The Blue Tangerine Charity helps educate, train, and organise activities for young people with special educational needs who attend the Blue Tangerine Federation schools. As a community bank, we were pleased to support the students raise funds for such a good cause, explains Harry Deere, a customer service representative at Hemel Hempstead Metro Bank. It's been delightful mentoring the students through the challenge over the past six months. It's also rewarding to see the results of their hard work. Thanks to everyone who helped raise the fantastic £1,245.97, money which will be of great help to children with special needs. David Byrne, Hemel Hempstead Metro Bank store manager, added, Throughout the year, Metro Bank hosts a range of seasonal events as well as charity fundraisers and networking sessions. We also enjoy teaching students fundamental life skills through our Money Zone programme a series of free financial education lessons the Metro Bank offers children. Any schools or charities interested in the Money Zone programme can contact david.burn at metrobank.plc.uk. Metro Bank's Hemel Hempstead store is located in the Marlows. Some news in stats. Is the rise in living costs putting people off electric cars? Demand for electric vehicles is showing signs of going into reverse. New buyers searching for electric vehicles slumped from 26% in September last year to 16% in February this year. 55% of buyers looking at electric vehicles earn more than £50,000 a year. Buyers appear to be switching back to petrol and hybrid vehicles. The prices of new electric vehicles are typically 35% more expensive than petrol or diesel cars. More stats. On the question, do you still use cash after the pandemic? 
Prior to the lockdowns, 77% did not think COVID-19 would change their use of cash. Nearly two years on from the first UK lockdowns, 50% of people still use less cash than before the coronavirus pandemic. One in 25, however, use more cash now than they did pre-pandemic. At the height of the national lockdown in 2020, ATM transactions fell significantly by as much as 65% across the UK. By mid-summer 2020, 75% were using less cash. Since the start of the pandemic, 80% said they would reduce their cash use in future. By summer 2021, 72% were using less cash overall. Hemel Hempstead's MP has been appointed as the new party vice chairman for candidates. Sir Mike Penning says he will focus on ensuring the Conservative Party has the best possible candidates, united in their commitment to Conservative values, and highlighted the value of down-to-earth life experience. Chairman of the Conservative Party, Oliver Dowden, said, I'm delighted to welcome Sir Mike to our growing team. He will have a particular focus on making sure candidates are properly prepared for when they come into Parliament. Sir Mike said, I'm committed to ensuring we have candidates with strong Conservative values and who come from all walks of life and backgrounds so that we can put forward the best team to represent our country in Parliament. The role is an unpaid position. The oldest business in Hemel Hempstead is closing its doors after 92 years. P.W. Anderson and Woodman Brothers Limited started up back in 1930, but has now had to call it a day and will officially close on Friday, March the 25th. Three generations of the Anderson and Woodman family oversaw matters at the building supply store. Over the years, the business has had to adapt and diversify to survive. It was a go-to place in the local area for building materials, gardening tools and must-have objects for home extensions. Initially, the business operated in the coal trade, but it had to change when that resource became less desirable. Philip Anderson started the business in 1929 and at the time the would-be entrepreneur had only £17.50 to his name and worked out of a shed. Philip's daughter Pauline, who is now in her 80s, and has worked in the business since she finished school, told us, It's diversified so much over the years, I can hardly recognise the business anymore. It's changed so much. It was purely coal and animal feed. Now we don't have any animal feed and coal is almost on its way out. It's mainly building supplies now. Pauline and her husband handed over management duties to her son, Andrew White, who will be in charge of the operation until its closure. Now based on the Deans, the business first gained popularity when it was situated by the Marlows under the railway bridge. It has enjoyed a long and winding journey. A family friend and long-term customer at the company's various stores, Nancy Newbury told the Gazette, it had such a sad beginning, I wanted to cry. The mother was widowed and lived in St Albans, and she walked with her three young sons from St Albans to Hemel Hempstead and put herself in the workhouse. One of them went on to form Anderson and Woodman. Hemel Hempstead has more clothes shops than open on the high street now. 
I thought a company like Anderson and Woodman that's been here for 92 years should be acknowledged. It was in 1950 when the business truly expanded as Philip had the finances to buy out the Albion Mills owned by the Woodman brothers. In 1951, P.W. Anderson and Woodman Brothers became the official name of the business. From there, the business expanded further with three retail shops being launched under the P.W. Anderson and Woodman Brothers umbrella. Pauline says the rise of supermarket and DIY stores hurt growth and popularity over the 1960s and beyond. Unfortunately, the family recently decided keeping the business afloat was no longer feasible. Now, more about statistics and young people targeted by fraudsters. 81% of teenagers fear, feel anxious about money and finances. The COVID-19 pandemic caused 67% of teens to feel more anxious about money including 73% aged 15 to 16. Of young people, 58% were targeted by fraudsters. One in 10 had been asked for their PIN numbers. 8% had their credit or debit card cloned or stolen. Young people's financial knowledge came from parents, 56%, self-taught, 25%, and school, 17%. Jewellery was stolen in a burglary at a Hemel Hempstead home. The burglary took place between around about 2.30pm and 10pm on Sunday, February the 13th, in St Agnell's Lane. PC Michael Durrant said, We are appealing for any witnesses or anyone with information to get in touch. Were you in the area? Did you see something suspicious? Any information you have no matter how small it might seem, could be vital to our investigation. If you can help, please don't hesitate to contact us. You can report information online via web chat or call the non-emergency number 101. Hertfordshire County Council offered free electronic cigarette starter kits to help people kick the habit on no smoking day last week. The council offered the kits to anyone aged over 18 who's previously tried and failed to quit smoking and is ready to sign up for support to try again. The COVID-19 pandemic has seen an influx of people requesting stop smoking support from the council, with over 4,300 people getting help since April 2020. Luke French came forward for support from the council's health improvement service in 2020 after more than 20 years as a smoker. My mum died in December 2019 from COPD, he said, and after that the kids were really scared about my smoking, saying, Daddy, you're going to die like Nanny. Then COVID happened, and that's also a respiratory disease, so I phoned the doctor and she referred me. With help, Luke managed to reduce his smoking, but he was still struggling to set a stop day, so his stop smoking advisor suggested he try e-cigarettes. With the vape, I found it really easy, he said. I haven't craved for a cigarette since, and I'm reducing the strength of the nicotine gradually. I wish I'd used it years ago. For support to quit smoking, contact Hertfordshire Health Improvement Service on 0800 389 3998. 
a woman who is recovering from cancer of the uterus has set up a petition to fund a national gynaecological screening program to help identify any abnormalities. The petition needs 10,000 signatures to get the campaign to the next stage. Victoria Bolton of Hemel Hempstead said, this has come off the back of my own experience. I was diagnosed with uterine sarcoma cancer in September 2021 after three years of fighting to be heard by the NHS. It resulted in many hospital visits and blood transfusions and I was told all I had was fibroids when in actual fact it was a sarcoma tumour. I was rushed into A&E countless times over the years and in June last year was told by my GP I was just unlucky. I was sent away with the pill which fed my cancer and tranexamic acid to stop my bleeding, which is a blood clotter, not a good combo with the pill, and iron tablets. I was eventually given an elective hysterectomy. That's when they found my eight centimetre fibroid was actually a tumour and I had several other fibroids. The issue for me was not that I expected my GP to diagnose the cancer, but to recognise I had the top five signs and refer me quickly for further investigation, which didn't happen. Victoria is a 38-year-old mum to a seven-year-old and has a full-time career. She describes how she's been to hell and back trying to be heard. I felt humiliated, exhausted, unheard, embarrassed, angry, frustrated and ashamed, she said. I also felt like an annoyance to the point where I stopped calling my GP, which resulted in my hemorrhaging for the fourth time and being admitted to hospital. Rather than complain about the NHS, Victoria wanted to turn her experience into a positive. She has since spoken to many women and their stories are all the same, not necessarily resulting in cancer, but resulting in further problems and eventually leading to infertility and poor life quality due to slow referrals and poor diagnosis. She added, The bottom line is women need to be taken more seriously and the process around diagnosing women's gynaecological issues needs to come away from the one-size-fits-all package. At each stage of your life, you are just pigeonholed as a woman. Women feel ashamed and embarrassed to talk openly, still in 2022. And I have started to have a positive impact on my own social media with women stepping forward and telling me stories about their own experiences. I want to start with this movement to help save time and resources and assist with early diagnosis of issues, be proactive and not reactive to save people's lives. Credit card application fraud attempts surged at the fastest rate in five years in the last three months of 2021, according to a credit reference agency. The detected fraud rate for cards rose by 42% between October and December 2021, compared with the previous quarter, marking the highest rate since 2017. The data, taken from the National Fraud Hunter Prevention Service, was analysed by Experian. Nearly three-quarters of detected cases involved fraudsters using the victim's current address to apply for credit, Experian said. Eduardo Castro, Managing Director of 
identity and fraud Experian UK and Ireland said, Genuine applications for credit tend to rise as we enter the busy Christmas shopping period, but the extent to which fraudsters tried to take advantage this year is truly eye-opening. These figures show should serve as a warning as to how important it is that people look after their personal information. We need to be more vigilant online. For example, oversharing personal details on social media platforms is easily done, but the consequences can be dire. With nearly three quarters of the cases, we found using the victim's current address. Meanwhile, businesses need robust fraud prevention systems in place to protect customers, and technology is helping in the battle. Identifying fraudulent activity at the point of application frees up time and resources for fraud teams to investigate more complex cases. The rise in rates can also be in part attributed to financial services fraud teams using a sophisticated combination of technologies, Experian added. This has allowed lenders to decline questionable applications rapidly and efficiently rather than flagging them for manual review. New forms of authentication, such as biometric systems, are also becoming more widely used, it added. Women's sport was highlighted at the launch of the This Girl Can in Hearts initiative. The Hearts Sports and Physical Activity Partnership, HSP, will be announcing a series of exciting opportunities and events for women and girls in Hertfordshire as part of the national This Girl Can campaign from Sport England. Events will range from monthly topical webinars featuring guest speakers to community festivals that will work to enhance women and girls' sport and physical activity provisions. The first webinar will take place on April the 11th and is a webinar on keeping physically active with and after cancer. We are coming to the end of this week's news. Sunrise and sunset times for this weekend are 6.06 and 18.12 hours. For those with access to the internet, our news is uploaded to our website soon after the recording each week on Thursday evening. This can be found by visiting dtnhemmel.org.uk. If you wish to listen on Alexa, say, Alexa, open the talking newspaper, Skill. Alexa will ask you which broadcast you want to listen to. When prompted, reply, play the decorum talking newspaper. This part can be tricky. If Alexa offers the wrong station, just say no and then try again. For those who are listening to this week's news via a memory stick, after the music, there is the amenities section that gives details of various groups and the contact details of organisations. Please remove your memory stick carefully from the player and return it to us in the pouch provided. Seal it up firmly, turn the label over and post it back to us using any Royal Mail post box. No stamp is required. Thank you for listening. Until next time, it's goodbye from all your readers the editor, and Joe, your technician for this week. Goodbye.